Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Grounded Podcast with Pastor Matt Round. This is episode 37, and today we are going to be answering the question, how can a Christian overcome guilt? Um, There's lots of types of guilt, but usually we put them into two categories. There's real guilt that you really feel for doing something wrong, but then there can also be this sense of false guilt that even though we've been reconciled, redeemed, and justified, we still feel this deep burden on our hearts. So... Here to break down that question, give us an answer, is Pastor Matt Round. Hello, Pastor Matt. Hey, Noah. Good to see you. Um, Yeah, so it is a good question. I think it's one that a lot of people wrestle with, um, and it's one that we don't really have a cultural context to wrestle with in a healthy way, uh, mostly because the culture around us tells us that guilt is always a bad thing, uh, that guilt is something that should be avoided all the time, that it is always negative, that it has no place in our life, that it's unhealthy, uh, that it's unproductive, and certainly those things can be true. Um, but they are not always true. And the first thing I think we need to get through is we need to kind of reframe how we think about guilt. Um, we need to remember that guilt primarily is not a true or a false thing. Uh, if you want to divide guilt, then you can talk about guilt positionally or guilt as a feeling. Um, and first and foremost, guilt is a positional reality. Uh, you either are guilty or you are innocent. There's, there's not a middle ground when it comes to kind of a, a positional um, forensic type guilt. Um, And when we talk about guilt in the realm of sin, we know that biblically all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? That's a universal statement on human guilt. And so that guilt leads to the consequence of eternal separation from God. So if we completely do away with the idea of guilt, if we make it something that we never talk about, then there's actually no place and really no need for the gospel that tells us how to be set free from the right and the righteous wrath of God that declares sinners to be guilty of violating his law, right? So guilt is a reality, and it's not a reality that we should try to just ignore or do away with. But what about the feeling? We also need to understand that when you've done something wrong, guilt isn't just a kind of positional reality. Guilt is not just a feeling, but guilt is actually an appropriate feeling. The feeling of guilt can be the recognition that something wrong has been done. Um, And that shouldn't be something that sits well. It shouldn't be something that we avoid or ignore. Uh, You have warning lights on the dashboard of your car, right? And they're there for a reason. Um, The check engine light comes on in your car and it is not a smart idea to take duct tape and just, you know, kind of tape over the, the warning light there and pretend it doesn't exist. Guilt can be that flashing light that tells you that something is wrong, that you need to examine your heart, examine your motives, examine your lifestyle and see where that is coming from. Uh, It can show you where things are disordered. It can show you where you're being disobedient. So we need to step away from the idea that guilt is always bad and that it has no place and no purpose. And uh, that no matter what you should, what you do, you should avoid feeling guilty at all costs. And again, I'm not talking about inappropriate guilt, which I think is probably better than false guilt. Um, I'm talking about the idea that there is an appropriate level of guilt, that even in the life of a believer, there are times when our guilt positionally, relationally, forensically, our actual act of sin should rightly make us feel a certain way, an uncomfortable way, no doubt, but that feeling is right and appropriate. Um, 
It's that feeling of guilt that can be a motivator toward repentance and toward change. So it's not something we should just completely uh, toss out. But but how should the Christian think about guilt? So removing it from the world in general, how should the Christian think about guilt? And that's where obviously this question itself is directed. How can a Christian overcome guilt? Well, what is guilt? Positionally, it's the reality that says you failed to meet the standard. Uh, what you did was wrong uh, or you failed to do what was right. Either way, uh, for the believer, we identify guilt with sin. And what does the Christian know about their position with regard to sin? For the believer, we know that when we repent of our sin and place our faith in Jesus Christ, in other words, when we are saved, at that moment, we're made positionally right with God. We're saved by grace through faith, Ephesians chapter 2. And he says, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works so that no one can boast. Uh, Salvation is described uh, in terms of being like transferred from one kingdom to another, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Uh, So the Christian knows that positionally at the moment of salvation, our guilt is dealt with, that Christ bears the penalty for our sins in his own body on the cross, and that we are clothed and covered with his righteousness and his right standing before God the Father. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That is a statement that deals with the positional nature of the Christian with regard to their guilt. It is placed on Christ. His righteousness and right standing is placed on us. And that's a one-time transaction. It's not something uh, that additional sins can kind of undo. It's not something that's subject to change. So the question is, uh, if the question then is, what does the Christian do about positional guilt? The answer is nothing. (laughs) And the gospel says that it's all paid for. And that's not to say that we ignore sin. Uh, We still confess. We still repent. Uh, But 1 John reminds us that as often as we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Um, But that confession of sin doesn't restore our position. Uh, It's necessary. It's important. It's beneficial. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Um, But if there was something else that we needed to do in order to deal with our positional guilt, then the reality is that the cross wasn't enough. If there was something that the Christian had to do to deal with the reality of guilt that sin brings, then it would mean that there was something that Jesus left unaccomplished. Uh, If heaven's a matter of getting the right prayer said or doing the right thing or giving the right amount, or if, you know, making it to heaven is a matter of making up for any amount of sin, which by the way, is a common feature of every world religion. You are working your way back toward a guiltless state. You're making up for the guilt with right actions. Um, If that's what salvation is, then the cross was not enough. And if that's the reality, then Jesus had no business saying it is finished. And he did. So positionally, the believer does not need to and can do nothing about positional guilt. It is taken care of when we are reconciled to God through the work of Christ. So how do we deal with guilt as a feeling? The feeling that definitely 100% comes up in the lives of believers, sometimes for some people, frequently. Um, and that might be a little bit more difficult of a question to, to wrestle with. Um, how do we deal with that? Well, here's some things that I suggest. Uh, first of all, don't try to just ignore it. Uh, don't listen to probably well-intentioned but shallow advice that says, because you're a Christian, you don't even need to think about guilt. You just need to put it away from you altogether. Because like I said earlier, that feeling of guilt can be an appropriate response to a sinful reality. The believer who is living in consistent, 
undealt with, unrepented of sin should, in fact, feel guilty. They should not feel comfortable. Uh, They should not feel at ease because they're not living according to the calling, right? And and David kind of reflects this. And in Psalm 32, verse 1, this is after David's uh, adultery with Bathsheba. It's after the murder of her husband. It's after Nathan, the prophet, comes and really confronts him in a public, um, inescapable way about his sin. Uh, David writes this in Psalm 32. He says, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. There are times when the Christian bears a heavy weight of guilty feelings, Uh, a weight that is not just emotional and internal, but a weight that actually has physical repercussions sometimes. And the solution for that is not to ignore it. The solution is if you're living in sin to confess and repent of your known sin. That, that should be a constant process in the life of a believer is as sin is exposed, confessing and repenting. And there are many times in the life of a believer when that feeling of guilt comes from a reality of guilt, uh, from the fact that you are living in a way that is much more characteristic of the world and the flesh that you are called out of than in the life and the fruit of the spirit that you are called into. And so if you are feeling guilty as a Christian, um, you know, if there's known sin that you're not dealing with, then thank God for the guilt and confess and repent. Uh, God's hand is heavy on his disobedient children, and it's because he loves us. If you think back through Israel's history, God disciplined his people greatly. If you, The author of Hebrews says that God disciplines, he scourges every son that he loves. God disciplines his people, not for the sake of making them miserable, but for, for the sake of making them righteous so that they can move forward in obedience and blessing. So, uh, Christian, if you are feeling guilty, consistently guilty, then examine and see what sin needs to be dealt with. Second, if there's some consistent feeling of guilt that you can't quite put your finger on, uh, then I would invite you to kind of turn to Psalm 139 and the very closing of that wonderful psalm that tells us how intimately and how beautifully and how personally God knows us. The very end of that Psalm 139, verse 23, a pretty familiar prayer. David says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Um, It's a good and appropriate thing to ask God to examine our hearts and to do a work that we are not always willing or capable of doing. And that is to reveal sin that we might be unaware of. And as I'm reading that, it kind of called me, uh, called to mind the end of Psalm 19, where uh, David there says, um, talking about the word of God, not just the works of God that show his nature in the beginning, but the, the word of God is what occupies the last part of that. Talking about the fear of the Lord being clean, the judgments of the Lord being righteous and true, uh, that they're desirable. That, And then he says, by the judgments and by those statutes of God in Psalm 1911, he says, by them, your servant is warned and keeping them. There is great reward. And then he says this in Psalm 1912, who can discern his errors? In other words, who can, who can really accurately know the fullness of the state of their heart? And he says this in the second half of verse 12 of Psalm 19, acquit me of hidden faults. 
Also, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless. I'll be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So there's that recognition that there are uh, presumptuous outward sins that we know are sins, but there's also that recognition uh, that there are times when I don't know the depth of my own heart's failure. One of the things that the Spirit does that Christ promised the Spirit would do was convict the world of sin and that we ask God, and that's a, that is an uncomfortable prayer. It's a, it's a bold prayer in some sense to say, Lord, show me those places where I've wandered off the path and I don't even realize it. I, I, I know where I'm sinning voluntarily and willfully and I need to deal with those, but Lord, show me those places uh, that are just so deeply in my blind spot that I don't even recognize him. And if you're feeling a consistent pull toward guilt, that is an appropriate prayer to pray. Lord, reveal what you might be working on in secret. Make it known to me so that I can move toward obedience. Um, Third thing for the believer who wrestles with guilt, you need to remind yourself of the truth of the gospel. Uh, The gospel is not a, a primer that we start with and then grow beyond into some advanced Christian thinking. We do add to our faith, knowledge, and zeal. We do grow in the grace and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. But the gospel is never something we outgrow or outpace. And the gospel continually tells me that although I am guilty and will continue to sin and be guilty, that Christ has perfectly paid for those things. And I need that reminder that every time I hold on to my guilt, every time I latch onto it and coddle it and refuse to let it go, every time I wallow in that guilt, I am practically telling Christ that there is something that he has done that is not good enough. That if only I were able to overcome this, if only I were able to repay that, then the work of Christ would be complete. Um, And we don't say that because we know that's not true. The believer knows in his heart that that is not even an appropriate thing to to think about or to talk about. But but we act that way. If I cling to my guilt, it is it is a practical statement that something that Christ did was not enough. Um, So the believer needs to remind themselves of those truths of the gospel that say that our sin and guilt was dealt with once and for all before the father on the cross of Christ. Uh, Next thing for people that are wrestling with the. a sense of guilt, and that's to make real changes in their life, to actually move toward obedience. Uh, guilt, even that appropriate guilt that moves us toward repentance and confession, then leads to the put-offs. I feel guilty because I lied again. Well, I need to stop doing that, and that is good and appropriate. Put off that lie. Put off whatever the sin that brings the guilt might be. But then a lot of times we forget the other half of that, and that is that there's a put-on. There's a replacing that with uh, attitudes and actions and affections that bring honor and glory to God, Uh, that our goal in life then is to please God, to walk and live in a manner worthy of our calling. And guilt is not only done away with by stopping the bad. Guilt is really actively dealt with by living a life of progressive and growing sanctification, growing holiness, growing obedience, because then you look back and you begin to see progress in your life. Well, I'm not perfect, certainly, but I'm also not what I was, that God is doing a work in me and progressing and perfecting me, molding me and conforming me to the image of his son, just like he promised he would. So uh, another one of the very effective ways for the believer to deal with guilt is to move forward than in obedience. The problem is it's easier to stay in guilt. As uncomfortable as it is, it's a lot easier to wallow in my guilt than to actually get up and start doing the right thing to, to make new habits, to change, uh, those, those 
consistent areas that I struggle with to get the accountability that's needed to move me forward. Um, but again, it's one of the most practical things when I sit in counseling, the, one of the most practical things that moves people out of hopelessness and despair and guilt is actually taking practical steps toward obedience. And it's, it's, it's shocking how quickly that can begin to deal with those feelings of guilt. Another thing that I think is really practical, and it kind of it kind of goes along with those making real changes, is look to reconcile with the people that you've offended. If you are feeling guilty for a past action, not all the time, but certainly often, it's because you've wounded somebody, you've hurt somebody, you have done something in your sin that has damaged or broken a relationship. And we cannot always completely repair that, but we can, so far as it depends on us, live at peace. And you see this when there's radical change in someone's heart. You think of the story of Zacchaeus, the wee little man who climbed the tree to see Jesus, right? And he was, he was wicked. He was a thief. He robbed from his own people, essentially, due to his position. But when he has this encounter with Christ and when there's that recognition of his sin, what does he do? He says, I'm going to go and I'm going to pay everything back. Now, does that undo the sin? No. The work of Christ is what undoes the eternal weight of that sin. But in the moment, there's the opportunity to move toward reconciliation and restoration of what we've wronged. And sometimes it's easier to feel guilty than it is to move toward that person that we've wronged in humility and repentance. And yet as we do that, we find that those feelings of guilt are quite often removed from us. Not perfectly, not even quickly sometimes, but it does help. And then I think finally, the the thing to keep bringing to mind is that this is not just an isolated struggle in your own head, in your own heart, and your own mind and soul. That we exist not just as physical creatures on a physical plane who deal with emotions and feelings and thoughts and chemicals and all those things, but that we are involved in a spiritual battle that is real, that the Bible describes as real, uh, that we ought to assume that the Bible, because it is truthful in all things, is describing a real, a, a real and true state of things. And in Revelation chapter 12, uh, Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. In fact, it's, it's the meaning is accuser. Satan is the one who accuses. And the problem is when Satan accuses us believers, he is often right. We are a guilty and sinful people. And so he does not lack ammunition, as it were, when it comes to accusing God's people. But remember that Satan would seek to undermine your faith and my faith, that Satan would seek to accuse to the point of discouragement and the point of despair, because that would make us fruitless. It would make us ineffective in the work that God has called us to do. If we have an accuser, and we do, and if he is accurate when he talks about our sins, and oftentimes he might be, Satan is a liar and a murderer and has been from the beginning, and certainly he will twist and distort and confound things if he can. But let's take those times when he is right. What we need is not perfection because we can't get that. What we need is someone to combat the accusations. In a courtroom scene, if the prosecution is accusing us, and rightly so, what we need is the right defense. And I want to read from Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23. The author of Hebrews says, The former priests, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. He's a better priest because he continues forever. He has this permanent work. Therefore, verse 25, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. 
The fact that we have a better high priest in Jesus, part of that better is the fact that he lives forever. And he doesn't just live forever because he was perfect and because he is God, although he is those things. He lives forever. And one of the things that he does is that he ever lives to make intercession for us. He ever lives to go between a holy God and a sinful people. He ever lives to plead our case before the Father. And the great thing is he doesn't plead my case. If Satan accuses me of sin and Christ as my defense attorney in this kind of picture pleads the best parts of me, that case falls short because I'm still guilty. But he doesn't do that. He pleads the fact that although I am guilty, the penalty has been paid. And he's the one who paid it. And that, that is the driving force of Hebrews, that Christ is better. He's the better high priest who brings a better sacrifice of his better blood, better than the blood of bulls and rams and goats. It's the blood of a better covenant with better promises. It's all better because it deals with things eternally and perfectly. Um, so we have this great high priest who ever lives to make intercession for us. And the author of Hebrews goes on to say, we have a high priest who's holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens, who doesn't need like uh, the old high priest to offer up sacrifices for his own sins because he did once for all when he offered up himself. He did what the law couldn't do. Those are, those are some practical steps that aren't all easy, but they are all effective when it comes to dealing with guilt in the life of a believer. Thank you very much, Pastor Matt. That was an excellent answer, very in-depth and detailed. I am so grateful for your continued um, effort that you put into this podcast. And um, thank you very much for listening to this podcast. We're so happy to be back. And if you want to listen to more of our episodes, please visit our website, thegroundedpodcast.com. And if you have a question of your own, please email us groundedwithmattround at gmail.com. Next week, we'll be answering a question that we received from a listener. How do we delineate between what Old Testament laws still apply today? It's a really good question, and we're looking forward to it, and I hope you are too. So we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.